The following podcast contains explicit language. You retweeted an unflattering picture of her next to a picture of your wife. I didn't start it. Okay, that's, I didn't uh, start uh, it. Sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. Anytime he gets upset, anytime he gets threatened, anytime he gets scared, he begins yelling, he begins often cursing. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man whose dad bought $3 million in poker chips to keep his son's casino afloat, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So Donald Trump just shook up his campaign again. Paul Manafort, the lover of Ukrainian culture, who keeps telling Donald Trump to take it down a notch, is out. Stephen Bannon, the executive producer of Breitbart News, is in. Kellyanne Conway, a pollster who is already working for Trump, is moving up. Roger Ailes, fresh off his long stint as the creepiest man in the world, is unofficially in. Corey Lewandowski, the distinguished CNN commentator, never left. Trump's daughter Ivanka and his son-in-law Jared Kushner are gone fishing. They're off on a yacht somewhere, presumably to escape the whirling gyre of madness known as the Trump-Pence campaign. What's going on here? Is Trump actively trying to lose the election? Does he have some deep need to collect all the worst people in the world in his own office? Is his presidential campaign really just a stage and the business plan for a new right-wing cable channel? I've got a great guest to talk about that today, Gabriel Sharman of New York Magazine. I'll be back with him right after we do the tweets. The failing New York Times has become a newspaper of fiction. Their stories about me always quote non-existent unnamed sources. Very dishonest. The failing New York Times talks about anonymous sources and meetings that never happened. Their reporting is fiction. The media protects Hillary. The failing New York Times, which never spoke to me, keeps saying that I'm saying to advisors that I will change. Boss, I am who I am, never said it. If the disgusting and corrupt media covered me honestly and didn't put false meaning into the words I say, I would be beating Hillary by 20%. My rallies are not covered properly by the media. They never discuss the real message and never show crowd size or enthusiasm. We now have confirmation as to the one reason Crooked H wanted to be sure that nobody saw her emails. Pay for play. How can she run for prez? My guest today is Gabriel Sherman. He's the media writer for New York Magazine and the author of the book The Loudest Voice in the Room, which is a biography of Roger Ailes. He has owned the story of Roger Ailes's demise at Fox News and the sexual harassment case against him in a way few reporters have owned any story in recent memory. Uh, He's been doing an amazing job with it, and I'm happy to have him on the show. Gabe, welcome to Trumpcast. Thanks for having me. So there's a lot of news about the right-wing media and Trump today. I guess I'll start with the biggest headline, which is that Paul Manafort, the campaign manager, is out-ish, and the new guy 
is Steve Bannon, who runs Breitbart News. He's now going to be running Trump's campaign. Yeah, it's a fascinating turn of events and really kind of solidifies what uh, everyone in, in politics sort of knew, that Breitbart had been the messaging arm of the Trump campaign really from the beginning. And Steve Bannon has been a loyal Trump advisor and friend uh, from the beginning and really bringing him on uh, sort of formalizes that relationship. So it's possible that not all of my listeners uh, follow right-wing media as closely as you do. So let's just sort of walk through some of this. First, what is Breitbart? This was a this is a right-wing news site that originally sort of came out of the Drudge Report, right? Yeah, so it was started by Andrew Breitbart, the late conservative activist. Uh, it started as a news kind of aggregator um, as part of the Drudge Report. Drudge would link back to Breitbart, the website that would aggregate headlines. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. But over the years, it's grown into a, a fully-fledged conservative right-wing news service in its own right, um, heavy on opinion, of course, but they do have their own reporters. But for your listeners, you know, really what I like to think about Breitbart is that it's the sort of the voice of the American right that, you know, many people, when they looked at the Brexit vote, tried to understand, you know, that, that the sort of European nationalism. And it's Breitbart represents that strain of politics here in America. And that is clearly, you know, the style of politics that Trump has been propagating this campaign. So it makes sense that Bannon, as the sort of creative force behind Breitbart, would sign on to the Trump campaign. So as compared to Fox News, Breitbart is more populist, more raw. How else would you distinguish it? Yeah, it has been. uh, It's really the voice of the sort of populist right. They've been very aggressively going after Paul Ryan and a lot of the establishment Republicans. And I think what we should point out is the main fault line that Breitbart has been digging into is the issue of immigration. They have been the staunchest opponents of any kind of uh, immigration reform. They have been proponents of Trump's plan to build a wall. And they're very anti-free trade, not uh, club for growth, uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce style of politics that the Republican Party has defined itself with for the last 30 years. Where are they on the conspiracy spectrum? I mean, are these Obama birthers or these people who believe all sorts of crazy theories about, you know, Vince Foster was was murdered and and that kind of thing? They're, um, you know, they're not as far out there as, say, like an Alex Jones or a World Net Daily. Um, And really, you know, this campaign cycle, they've been more pushing trade and immigration issues than, you know, from my reading of the site, than, say, Clint, you know, retrudging up the Clinton sex scandals from the 90s. That's not to say that they don't go there and, you know, give Paula Jones and Juanita Broderick and a lot of the Clinton accusers oxygen. But mainly they're, they're focusing on the issues on economic and uh, nationalism issues, not, not sort of scandal mongering as much. I didn't realize how much they were in the tank for Trump until this incident when Corey Lewandowski manhandled this reporter, Michelle Fields, at a rally, and Breitbart essentially took the side of Lewandowski and Trump against its own reporters, her and another reporter who ended up quitting, getting pushed out. Yeah, exactly. And that that sort of uh, brought to the fore what people had sort of been talking about, that Breitbart was, you know, wholly in the tank for Trump. And we should point out that one of Breitbart's major investors is the uh, conservative hedge fund uh, mogul Robert Mercer. And the Mercers have been influential in convincing uh, Bannon uh, to go work for the Trump campaign and really hammering and making sure that Trump doesn't modulate his message, which was uh, had been Paul Manafort's strategy to try to you know, make him more palatable to the mainstream Republican Party. And the Mercers and Bannon really want Trump to you know, continue his nativist message that he pushed during the primary. 
So who is this Steve Bannon? I've seen pictures of him. He looks like an unmade bed. Yeah, he's a fascinating character, and uh, your listeners should go read a, a great profile that Josh Green did for Business Week last year of Bannon. He's a you know conservative activist, media executive. He worked on Wall Street earlier in his career, made a lot of money, and in recent years has been financing conservative causes and conservative media projects. We should point out that Bannon was really one of the chief financiers of the book Clinton Cash that dug into the Clinton Foundation. And he also financed uh, a documentary. He had been one of Sarah Palin's uh, chief benefactors after uh, the 2008 campaign. He made uh, a documentary about her called Undefeated, which was supposed to be the rollout of her political resurrection. It didn't work out that way. But so Bannon has been, um, you know, kind of a behind the scenes force in this rise of populist conservatism over the last 10 years. Joshua Green, in that piece he referred to, described him as the man who runs the vast right-wing conspiracy. But he's not just anti-Clinton, right? He's played a role in bringing down John Boehner as Speaker of the House and going after various politicians on the right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I find really fascinating is that, you know, we can maybe get to this later in the conversation. But, you know, Roger Ailes, in many ways, believes a lot of the things that Bannon and Trump do in terms of being, you know, populist and nativist. Um, But Ailes has been a bridge in trying to, to, to channel those populist forces to the benefit of the mainstream Republican Party. Bannon has no interest in, you know, propping up the mainstream uh, Republican Party as embodied by Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney. And if anything, he wants to bring it down. And that's what I find makes him so uh, fascinating in a certain way, you know, admirable. I think there is, um, you know, whether you agree or disagree with Bannon's politics, he is clearly not compromising his values. He's not a partisan in that he's trying to, you know, help the Republican Party. I think he's trying to remake the Republican Party. And, you know, his central role in the Trump campaign, you know, means he's he's successful. Um, and obviously, if Trump, if the poll numbers hold and he doesn't win, you know, I think there'll be limits to that strategy. But I think Bannon is clearly representing the ascendant force uh, on the right in the Republican Party. So yesterday's news in right wing media and the Trump campaign was that Roger Ailes, having been pushed out of Fox News, thanks to you, is going to be advising Trump on debate prep, at least, and it seems like has been advising him on much more. So how does that play here? How does he how does Ailes get along with Bannon if Bannon was running the sort of insurgent alternative to Ailes's Fox News? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. A couple of things to look at there. You know, I think the New York Times story, what it did was just make public a relationship that has you know, existed from the beginning. Trump has been in constant contact with Ailes from the moment he launched his campaign. So I don't think there's a lot new in that Ailes is um, taking on a bigger role in the campaign. And the Trump uh, sp- uh, campaign was quick to point out that Ailes is not joining the campaign officially. He's not being paid. So I think he's, you know, an unofficial advisor. And in terms of his relationship with Bannon, what's interesting is that they've been both competitors and allies at certain moments. You know, when my book was coming out, Steve Bannon was in the war room that Roger Ailes had set up to smear my reputation with several other Fox News executives. And Breitbart News was one of the chief media outlets that published all these baseless attacks on me, like that I was paid by George Soros or that I was stalking Roger Ailes's family. You know, so in that regards, Ailes and Bannon uh, work together. But in recent years, they've been competitors because, you know, as you mentioned, Breitbart News has you know, become a force on the right and in many ways is competing 
with Fox News. And during this uh, campaign season, when Megyn Kelly got in her feud, got into her feud with Donald Trump, Breitbart News, you know, viciously attacked Kelly and clearly took Trump's side. And that forced Ailes uh, really to go to war with Breitbart so that they've been, you know, on both sides of, of issues in the past. And I think it makes for a complicated relationship. It's so crazy. I mean, Megyn Kelly sort of capitulated when she did that somewhat sycophantic interview with Trump. And it looked there like Ailes, you know, somehow had come down on her. Meanwhile, she's now testifying that she was a victim of Ailes's harassment as well. I mean, it's really hard to put all the pieces together here of who's on whose side when. Yeah, you know, there's such a swirl of agendas at play. Um, you know, to the uh, to the special, which you know bombed both in the ratings and in terms of its critical reception. You know, I think Megyn Kelly is in the midst of a contract negotiation. Her agents at CAA, you know, clearly want her to have a breakout contract, whether at Fox News or another network. And that special was seen as her effort to try to rebrand herself as the next Barbara Walters. And, you know, to be Barbara Walters, you have to get the big get, as they say in the TV business. So kind of her capitulation and going to get Trump to sit down with her, I think, was her effort, as I understand it, to show that she can do these major headlining interviews. But it totally backfired because she had built up some cred in the mainstream media as a, as a journalist who was willing to ask tough questions of, on both sides of the aisle. And that, you know, clearly damaged that brand. In terms of her testifying against Ailes, you know, she really felt... Uh, that my again, as my reporting shows, after the feud with Trump, that Ailes and Fox were not quick to defend her, especially the other talent. You know, Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity really took Trump's side during this primary and left Megyn Kelly pretty isolated. And I think she used this opportunity of the Paul Weiss investigation that the Murdochs launched to really, you know, try to blow up the boys club and to tell her experience of being you know, subjected to Ailes's harassment 10 years ago. If you're a, a Murdoch at Fox News right now, you've got to look over at this alliance between Trump and Breitbart and Roger Ailes and be kind of worried, right? This is a kind of axis of, of people who aren't your, necessarily your political enemies so much as they want to take your place. Yeah, exactly. And the Murdochs, especially Rupert Murdoch, were very slow to get on board with Trump. And I would argue I don't think they are fully have gotten on board. I mean, the Wall Street Journal excoriated Trump the other day in an editorial that sort of showed their frustration with his candidacy. I mean, Murdoch's been a vocal proponent with Michael Bloomberg and others of immigration reform. James Murdoch is uh, a committed environmentalist. And so, you know, you look on these whole host of issues, the Murdoch's and Trump really have little in common. And then you have Breitbart and Ailes and others forming this new alliance of a populist right. And I, I, I agree with you. I think there is, you know, the chance that the Murdoch's start to say, wait a minute, you know, this is our future competition. These aren't uh, our friends. But Gabe, it looks a little like what's forming here is assuming Trump does lose is the axis of some kind of new right wing populist entertainment news politics network. Yeah, that's certainly possible. And there's been discussion of it throughout the campaign. There's been rumors that Trump has been making noises about starting his own right wing media company if his uh, campaign uh, melts down, which it looks like it is. Um, the the one missing piece of that puzzle will be Roger Ailes because uh, his severance negotiations with the Murdochs preclude him from uh, j- officially joining a media company for the next four years. It's a pretty ironclad non-compete clause, as I understand it. So, um, you know, Ailes, Ailes wouldn't have to sort of sit on the sidelines. That's not to say 
you know, that would preclude uh, Bannon and others from starting either a television network or some sort of multi-platform media company with Trump as the figurehead. So, yeah, I think we could be seeing a realignment in the conservative media for sure. So you look now at Trump's team of formal and informal political advisors. You have Steve Bannon, you have Paul Manafort, you have Roger Ailes, you have still lingering in the wings, Corey Lewandowski, Roger Stone. I mean, this is like, I'll just get a pit of vipers to uh, run my campaign. I mean, whatever. these are like the most treacherous people in the world. And you're asking them all to work together to elect Donald Trump. I mean, even for Donald Trump, that is a crazy thought. Yeah. And it's, you know, in many ways, people have joked that he's recasting, you know, The Apprentice political (laughs) edition. You know, he's picked, you know, a half dozen advisors who, you know, in certain ways can't stand each other and are intensely competitive. And he pits them off of each other. I mean, I've reported he's still in constant contact with Corey Lewandowski, who's been feuding with Paul Manafort and Jared Kushner, his son-in-law. And then you have Bannon in the mix, who's a rival of Roger Ailes. And then you have Roger Stone, who's just a you know, longtime troublemaker in, in any, every respect. And so all these guys are feuding with each other. And it, in a certain way, it preserves Trump's power, because at the end of the day, let's just you know, not mince words, he's running the campaign. I mean, he can bring on as many advisors as he wants. But the real campaign manager and visionary is Trump himself. So that preserves his power. The difference from The Apprentice is in the real campaign, when you get fired, you don't actually leave. Yeah, because he doesn't want you, uh, you know, he doesn't want you to say what you know. (laughs) So he'll sign you to some, uh, you know, non-disclosure agreement and either keep you around or, you know, continue to call on you for advice. So it's a way, you know, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. All right, Gabe, it's great talking to you. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. You know, Trumpcast has its own poorly regarded operatives. Jason DeLeon is our producer. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. John DiDomenico is our voice of Donald Trump. Who's going to be fired first? Stay tuned for the next episode of Trumpcast Apprentice to find out. And hey, if you like what you heard today, please go to iTunes to give us a rating and a comment or review. It's really helpful. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. All of these media outlets can say anything they want about me, and it's not true. It's not true, and it's not nice. It's not nice, and I'm all about being nice, and I think the press should be nice. And many, many people have told me that I can get rid of the First Amendment, and the Second Amendment will become the First Amendment, which it should have been in the first place. I think I'm going to do that, and that's probably going to be like day one, and I am going to put the failing New York Times out of business. Not that they need my help. They're terrible on their own. MSNBC, MB, all of them, they're terrible. They're just absolutely terrible, but really the New York Times, they've got to go.